What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. Today, we're going to discuss the recent price dip in Bitcoin. We're going to look at a couple of tweets from Bitcoin Twitter. You know, Bitcoin maximalists are always under attack, uh, but we're going to look at a couple of tweets about that. Jason Lowry's new thesis, we're going to just touch on that briefly. Then look at an article from Cointelegraph about human rights uh, featuring Alex Gladstein and some of his his thoughts, and we're going to talk through that. So kind of a wide-ranging show here, a little bit slower on the news cycle over the last 24 hours. Uh, so we're going to take that opportunity to look at a few little smaller items. You guys can catch this show on YouTube at BTC Market Update is the name of the channel, BTC Market Update. On Twitter, at Ansel Lindner, live streaming over there. Also on my home base of Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. That's where my guys are cutting it up, talking about Bitcoin and macro all day, uh, calling each other out. So if we have silly ideas, you know, we we correct each other and, you know, we're all learning and going forward with our education in Bitcoin and macro. All right. This morning I put out Market Pro number four. That is the new Market Pro membership. So if you want to get a 50% off your first month for that, you can go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro 50. Uh, I probably had over a dozen charts looking at weekly, three-day, daily, different price levels, uh, different indicators and oscillators. Also, some fundamental thoughts of my own on where we're going with price because we have seen the price kind of come back uh, a little bit over the last few days. Let's pull this up. So this is the Bitcoin chart. So you can see we kind of broke through this zone at around 24,000. We tried to break 25,000 multiple times. This red line at the top actually is the August 2022 high. We did break it, but we couldn't quite have that 25,000. We'll see. Now, right now we are dropping back through this last swing high that was from early February. I don't like the look of this right now. If, you know, this is the kind of last defense line before we go all the way back down to the 50-day moving average, which, let me bring this up, is down here at around 21,800. Um, that would, it wouldn't be the end of the rally or anything. Um, it actually would be somewhat healthy to touch that 50-day again and bounce off that zone and then come back up. But we like to see this progress, you know, the timing, if you're, if we're taking the timing from 2019 and that kind of mid cycle rally that we had, uh, this is where you want to see the price continue higher uh, and a reset while not the end of any sort of bull, bull move or rally in the market uh, will set us back, back on schedule. I mean, maybe that means we just rally harder in, you know, coming weeks, but so that's what I'm watching, and I, I did break it down much more in detail on the Market Pro, so you guys can check that out. Let's take a quick look at some other charts. The dollar is holding above the 50-day and looking like it wants to continue up. So we'll see. This does fit into a new higher range. We have not hit a new swing high, which would be up at like 105, 106 to get a new swing high, and that's up there by the 200-day moving average as well. 
Uh, I do expect it to get up there. Maybe it takes a couple more weeks or whatever, but I do expect the dollar to continue to strengthen. U.S. oil falling out of bed this morning, this 74. It's just weak, guys. This means there's very little global demand. Um, you know, OPEC has cut back its production. Russia has cut back its production. The U.S. is still below the 2019 highs in production. We also have natural gas hitting new lows, both in Europe and in the United States. So the demand here is falling off a cliff. Demand for energy is slowing. And this is despite the opening of China. Okay, remember I've said in the weeks past, the only people that think this opening of China is going to be a huge boon is the macro people. The business people, they're, they're looking at this as an opportunity to get out of China. They had to deal with COVID. Then they had to deal with zero COVID. Now they're opening up, but there's all these this trade war happening. China can't produce semi, semiconductors that they need. Um, there's all sorts of problems with the economy over there. And so their business is looking at this as a way to diversify and get out of China. So this is not going to be a huge boon at all to global demand. And we see this in the oil price right now. Okay, stocks. Stocks are green on the day, but uh, pretty weak right now. We'll see if this is a bounce. Um, I, I am expecting Bitcoin to bounce. And along with that would be the stock market. Okay, let's take a look at a few tweets. The first one is this one from Bitcoin Row. And I put this in the Telegram as well just a few minutes ago. And it's a quote from Ray Dalio. And he said, I do think that in time, there will be better digital currencies. I believe that you can create a digital currency that will give you the equivalent of the inflation rate. And that's buying power. Okay, it's kind of muddled there at the end. Ray Dalio is, he doesn't come across as being a very clear thinker, um, or at least it doesn't translate into what he's saying. So uh, in this, he's like, yeah, there's going to be a better Bitcoin in the future. And we heard this from Jeff Schneider as well, that he thinks that uh, Bitcoin's a good idea. Blockchain is so great. And so in the future, there will be a better Bitcoin that will come around. But bi this Bitcoin is not it. Okay. I think this is blind in a very telling way. So they don't understand that Bitcoin can evolve. Bitcoin is a stack of technologies. We have the consensus layer. We also have all the mining technology and pool software, you know, mining pool software uh, that continues to improve and get better. We're seeing things where individual miners in the pools now can pick transactions. I don't know if that has really launched. I think it's called like Stratum 2 or something. I'm not a miner, but th there's a lot of innovation going on, not only in technology, but in the way that they run the data centers, you know, the way that they run cooling, there's a lot of liquid cooling, I think, uh, kind of going on right now to really push the limit on the speed of these machines. Uh, there's financing, how to finance this, how to plan ahead, seasonality, diversification of energy, you know, sources, what, where you're getting your energy from, um, all sorts of things happening on the mining front. So there's a lot of innovation there. That's one part of the Bitcoin stack. Then you have the consensus layer. Then you have uh, Lightning, 
which, you know, all the layer twos that we kind of commonly think of as layer twos with lightning and side chains, those have unlimited possibility. Now you have things like Fediment and all sorts of stuff. So Bitcoin technology. Oh, and you can't forget physical Bitcoins. Many people often forget open dimes, but I think open dimes and things like that as physical Bitcoins are going to be big in the future. Not immediately, but it's going to, there might even be physical denominations of open dimes. Like one of the denominations I like is the Finney. That's 10,000 Satoshis. Uh, and there's 10,000 Finneys in a full Bitcoin. Uh, so there might be an open dime with, that are fixed denominations. They have Finneys on them or 100 sats or something like that. And then you trade those physically. That is perfectly, like that fits perfect into being private and, you know, using Bitcoin in a stack, different stack of technologies. So uh, again, what Ray Dalio is saying here is that in time, there will be a better digital currency, but what they're, what they're missing is that Bitcoin will evolve and Bitcoin will be the new Bitcoin. The new Bitcoin is Bitcoin. That's what I would respond to on that one. Another one I wanted to take a look at was Jason Lowry. His pinned tweet here. So he did publish his thesis, Soft War, a novel theory on power projection and the national strategic significance of Bitcoin, Major Jason Lowry. So very, very interesting. I'd like to see this type of academic work happening. I think we should expect a lot more of this type of academic work in the future. Uh, now, this particular, uh, oh, and I also agree with what I do know of this theory, that Bitcoin has national strategic significance for the United States and for every country, uh, because it is going to be the money. So there is definitely a national security implication of Bitcoin. Matthew Pines has written about this as well extensively. But this idea of power projection, like I wrote there in Telegram when I included this tweet, was or is my, my idea of this idea of power projection. Jason thinks that there's like a linear progression, right, from simple cell, singular cell organisms that learned how to project power, became multicellular organisms, became, I guess, fish and then amphibians and then reptiles and mammals and you know uh, we it's been this linear progression towards humans and now humans are the peak of life on this this planet i don't think that's the case there's i'll i'll say this line again and and people that listen to me all the time uh you know they've heard this one before but there's more bacteria in our bodies than human cells we are just a walking bag of bacteria we are the host of bacteria. Uh, bacteria is by far the most prevalent organism and the most successful organism on the planet. They are the, the peak, you know, the tip of the spear. We can't destroy bacteria, but bacteria could easily destroy the human race. Okay. We are not the pinnacle of force projection. It has not been a linear scale. That's not how evolution works. Evolution is not a linear progression to utopia. It is a constantly, I don't want to say evolution is constantly evolving, but evolution is the constant change and adaptation to constantly changing environments. And so something that was super successful 
you know, when the earth was way warmer, isn't going to be as successful when the earth is in an ice age. And so there's all sorts of different things that can happen that make it not a linear progression. So anyways, uh, enough on that. I will be reading Jason Lowry's thesis here, Soft War, and I recommend other people pick it up. Uh, Looks like it's on Amazon. So I'll be picking that up. I, I probably want to wait till this goes on audiobook, but we'll see. I might pick that up. I'm building behind me um, my office, and there's going to be a bookcase back here. So I'll have a nice background for my videos. But uh, yeah, maybe I'll put software up there for you guys to see. Anyways, let's go on to do I have any more tweets that I wanted to cover? Oh, man. Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, Nick Carter. Nick Carter is back. Where is he? Did he block me? No, he follows me. Amazing. Here we go. This is what was causing so much uh, hubbub over the last little while. So he gets on here and Mr. Hoddle is talking. He, I don't think Mr. Hoddle would hurt a fly, but uh, he says here that ordinals were literally created to take the technically ignorance sats. (laughs) And that's, that's true. I mean, that's why altcoins were created as well, even though it is, you know, the definition of a scam. Does a scam have to be conscious? And I don't think it does because you could go down this, this route and you think you might succeed, but others are telling you that no better. Others are telling you, you will not succeed. This is a waste of money and time but you spend years promoting yourself and promoting your ideas. And that's fine. That's what you know. free market world should be. We should all try whatever, whatever we want. But having false claims, that's, that's a different thing. But anyway, is it a scam if it is destined to fail? It is. Even if the intention is not malicious, you know, even if you have the best intentions, it's still a scam. So anyway, he's saying, and we said that about altcoins for a long time, is that all altcoins are scams. Some are intentional, some are not. Well, here he's saying that ordinals here, they are scams made to take your money. And that is true. Uh, I think there is, there might be, now I'm going to say something heretical here, guys. (laughs) That there might be something to the rare ordinals. I don't know yet. I really haven't given it a ton of thought, but there could be something to the value of rare ordinals similar to the way that numismatic coins have value. You know, like you can find some old Roman coinage or some old Carolingian coinage. That would be awesome to get some denarii, denarius coins, silver coins from like 800 AD. That would be pretty awesome. So some of these like numismatic coins, they have value above and beyond their metallic content, right? Their precious metal content. So that's a perfectly legitimate idea for some sats to also have a value above and beyond their sat value. It makes total sense to me. And so I think there is something to that. Now the NFTs and stuff on on Bitcoin, I think that's a fad. NFTs don't need a blockchain. They won't, they're too expensive. Being on Bitcoin will be too expensive to be able to support that type of that type of economy. So 
most likely they'll be on centralized services in the future. They won't be on decentralized networks like Ethereum or Solana or anything like that. They will be on centralized services, even though those, those networks are centralized, but they pretend to be decentralized. So I think it's going to be on a probably a centralized network that doesn't have a currency that would look a lot like perhaps side chains or some sort of centralized alternative to Bitcoin. And anyway, so that's might be where they live. I think there are some uses for NFTs, but not like we've seen from these multi-million dollar art sales. I think you could have like $5 little tokens and games or something like that but not uh, anything super expensive. Like the total market cap for NFTs in the future will be a couple billion dollars, not hundreds of billions. That's, that's really ridiculous. Anyway, let's get, continue with this Nick Carter tweet. Uh, and then Mr. Hoddle says, next time you see Udi or Nick Carter, make sure to tell them what kind of scumbags they are. The Bitcoin conferences are going to get way more entertaining soon. And then he has a gif of, some soldiers with swords and stuff. And this was taken as a threat. This I cannot believe that this was taken as a threat. It's crazy. It's very hard to, I mean, I don't know if I was as uh, well-known as Nick Carter and got as much hate towards me as Nick Carter, I probably wouldn't handle it very well. But he's very, very sensitive about this stuff. But I think his response was telling. So these kinds of threats from Bitcoiners or why I don't go to Bitcoin conferences anymore. All right. So you you go to conferences, like it's not the scams and the outright fraud and moral degeneracy that you're worried about. It's some tiny little tweet that could be taken as a threat if you twisted it and spun it a certain way. It's kind of crazy. But uh, what he has an, he has a follow on here, so. If you align with these people in any way, support maxi culture and don't explicitly disavow them. You're just never going to get anything from me. Appearances, podcasts, investment, introductions, shout outs, DMs answered, anything. Just don't bother. <laughs> David Bailey has a good response here he says down below you sound exactly like the thing you claim to hate <laughs> oh man if you align with these people in any way if you support maxi culture which no what is maxi culture okay what is that bitcoin maximalists and we believe that bitcoin is the only thing in this space with value because of well thought out and documented evidence and all this stuff you can't align with us in any way even on like arguments this is ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous <sighs> i don't think his star is rising i think his star is fading i mean the dissonance in this is just it, well what i said in telegram was it takes a lot of energy to hate a group of people a, a nondescript group of people, okay, maxi culture. You hate maxi culture so much that people must disavow something that has no real definition. You hate it so much. That takes so much mental energy and drain 
on you. I don't understand why anybody would hate something that much like that. The only thing I can think of is because his income depends on him hating it that much. Depends on this type of violent reaction. The violence of his reaction or the intensity, I shouldn't call it violence, the intensity of his reaction is, I think, proportional to how much his income depends on tearing it down, tearing that down. Uh, what kind of threat that logical argumentation has against his investment thesis and his hedge fund or whatever he runs there. So anyway, that's all I have to say about Nick Carter. Let's jump into this story. But let's uh, before we do this, let's uh, just admin break. So guys, thanks for joining me. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, like, comment down below. Tell me where I get things right, where I get things wrong. Probably get more things wrong than I get right. Uh, if you want to join the community, uh, go to t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets to join the Telegram. Make sure you're subscribed at BitcoinandMarkets.com and check out the membership tiers to support this content. And also, what's up to everybody watching watching on Twitter? Welcome, welcome. Same goes for you guys. Make sure you're following me and make sure you go over to the YouTube and the Telegram and, and participate in the, the community. And Telegram guys, thanks for holding it down. All right, let's go on to this one is from Cointelegraph. I usually like to share most news outlets in Bitcoin from archive links. Cointelegraph is not a horrible offender of selling scams. I mean, they have done it, but uh, they aren't anything as bad as Coindesk. You should never share. <laughs> should. You should never share a link from Coindesk without archiving it first. But anyways, this headline is Bitcoin fixes democracy and fights corruption. Human Rights Foundation. The Human Rights Foundation Chief Strategy Officer Alex Gladstein argues that Bitcoin represents free speech, property rights, and open capital markets, stifling the power of tyrannical governments. We're going to get into this because I do kind of agree with Alex, but I disagree on the conclusion. So let's continue reading here. Bitcoin fixes broken democracies and fights government corruption by limiting its power to control its people argues Bitcoin advocate and chief strategy, strategy officer of the Human Rights Foundation, Alex Gladstein. In a February 20th interview, Gladstein argued that the decentralized nature of Bitcoin can act as a barrier against corruption and tyranny. Quote, where the democracies have broken down, I do think it's very clearly related to fiat currency, and I do think that Bitcoin fixes this in a way, he said. Uh, Bitcoin fixes democracy, Bitcoin is free speech, property rights, and open capital markets. Tyrants need the opposite. They need censorship, confiscation, and closed capital markets. Gladstein. Gladstein is chief strategy officer of the Human Rights Foundation and has served the nonprofit organization since 2007. Oh, very interesting. I didn't know it went back that far. Uh, the foundation is focused on promoting and protecting human rights globally particularly in countries where its people live under authoritarian rule. Gladstein also delivers lectures on Bitcoin and the future of money at Singularity University events, according to his bio. Gladstein said during the interview that Bitcoin represents free speech, property rights, and open capital markets, all of which are stifled, stifling to tyrannical government. 
often, which often needs censorship, confiscation, and closed capital markets. He stated, quote, this is what China and Russia need to survive. They need censorship. They need closed capital markets, and they need confiscation. Bitcoin makes it really hard for governments to impose those things on their people. Both Russia and China have been hostile towards crypto in the past. The Chinese government banned virtually all crypto transactions in 2021. However, the upcoming crypto licensing regime, Bitcoin licensing regime in Hong Kong, has led to speculation China's stance on Bitcoin is softening. Russia's major Bitcoin law, on digital financial assets officially prohibited the use of crypto for payment purposes in 2020. The law did not ban Russians from investing in Bitcoin, but local Bitcoin exchanges have remained unregulated. Quote, I don't see these dictatorial powers doing well in a Bitcoin standard. I think it becomes really hard for them, Gladstein said. Gladstein's argument about Bitcoin has echoed similar views from others in the past. Bitcoin infrastructure provider OpenNode voiced similar opinions in 2021 about the benefit that Bitcoin donations had in evading authoritarian crackdowns. Quote, one of the benefits of Bitcoin is its censorship resistance, end quote, OpenNode wrote at the time. Without any central authority to dictate who can and can't use Bitcoin, it has proven to be the currency of choice for many individuals and organizations who have been left out of traditional payment methods. According to a February 2022 investigation by blockchain analytics firm Ecliptic, or Elliptic, one of the biggest reasons for embracing blockchain-based fundraising was to avoid traditional accounts being closed by financial institutions. Gladstein predicts there will be many more trigger moments in the coming years of people having, quote, technical and liquidity trouble with traditional financial services, end quote, which will result in more people shifting to BTC as an alternative. Quote, if there's a conflict or a breakdown in trade or communications, you're just going to see a whole hell of a lot of problems. And every single one of these is like a moment that's going to mint a new Bitcoiner out of necessity, he said. Very, very interesting. I want to go back to this about fixing broken democracies, fighting corruption, and limiting uh, power to control its people. And I talked about this briefly in the kind of pre-show that we do over there on Telegram. Um, I don't know how to work this in now. Um, Let's see. So, yes, I think Bitcoin does do this, what Alex is saying here. And I do think that that's generally beneficial, but it depends on what you think of as beneficial. If you think that protecting or maximizing free speech and property rights and free market economics is going to lead to more prosperity. I don't know if that's the case because if people, once people become rich, you know, like a lot of people in the U S if people could, they would buy 20 acres, put a farm on there, raise some animals, raise some crops, have a family, you know, be left alone for the most part. So as you know, this is an idea in Bitcoin about a citadel. You want to kind of get out of uh, the system in a way and regrid, not maybe not get off the grid, but you want to regrid to your own grid. You want to have some independence and things. And there is that kind of idea of separation between people and between 
trade in trade and, and all of this stuff. Self-sufficiency means that there's not going to be as much specialization. And in a deglobalizing world, most likely we're going to see economic output decline. And if we maximize free speech and maximize private property rights and maximize all these other things, we are going to most likely, yes, we will be freer and we'll most likely be happier, but will we be as wealthy, monetarily as wealthy? Probably not. We probably won't have as much cutting edge stuff. We won't have as much innovation in the way we see innovation today. Also, the other places like he's talking about authoritarian rule, I think that's great. I think what they're doing is amazing. And there is obviously a ton of need for people to help underprivileged populations. I think this is God's work. But what's the alternative? I get in this conversation quite often, actually, because many people think of the alternative to our current system, you know, a U.S.-led order, geopolitical trade order, liberal order, classically liberal order. The alternative to that is more liberalism and more trade and more of this stuff, when in reality, the alternative is just the opposite. It is less liberalization, less cooperation, less international trade, less finance. That's the alternative. And that alternative will come even if we don't have more free speech or more property rights. But if we do get more free speech and more property rights from Bitcoin, that future will come faster. It's not the golden city on the hill that we think of as this future with Bitcoin. It's most likely a regression of sorts. And that's not a bad thing because in today's society, there's so much depression. There's so much unhappiness. There's so much childlessness. There's, you know, people uh, are, people hate their jobs. Um, there is just, it's, people are overweight, you know, people are stuck in addictions from drugs, but also from things like video games and pornography and all that stuff. So people have all, there's all these problems with society that probably won't get better if we continue going towards a utopian future, right? Going towards a, a globalist utopian future is what got us to this place. And most likely a little bit of regression, though it's going to be bad for our pocketbooks. People might not be able to take two vacations a year. They might only be able to take one vacation or one every other year or something. They might not be able to get the most recent iPhone you know, or something like that. They, they, they have to do without a lot more, but we will be healthier. We will be happier people. So is that progress? Yes, but it's not the progress that most people think of when they think of property rights and free speech and, and capitalism. All right, guys, breaking in here on the edit to try to clear this up, <laughs> make my point a little bit better. So um, the idea here is that we live in a bubble right now. You probably have heard it called the everything bubble about, yes, we do live in a bubble of artificial abundance and overproduction that's been mostly driven by the state for the last hundred years or so. We have, you know, World War One, World War Two, Great Society, rebuilding, all of this stuff was command. Then we have the Japanese bubble that was, Japanese is pretty much a command economy. And the, of course, the communist command economy in China. So all of this stuff has, you know, we've lost a lot of our free speech. We've lost a lot of our property rights and our freedoms. And that has 
driven this period of the everything bubble. When that ends and we get our free speech back, we get our property rights back and we get these other things back due to Bitcoin, it's also going to pop the everything bubble of overabundance. We're going to have less specialization, less of everything. That's the point here. The other thing is uh, the alternative to this, uh, the Human Rights Foundation or whatever Alex Gladstein's thing is, they're nonprofit, I'm guessing, that's going out there and helping people in authoritarian regimes. And I think that's God's work, like I said. However, the alternative to that system of nonprofits helping people oppressed under authoritarian regimes is not spreading of democracy, spreading of liberal values, spreading uh, regime change and global government. Like that is what we're trying right now. And that's what is part of the thing that Alex Gladstein hates so much. Yet that is supposedly some sort of solution is to convince people without maybe, I guess, on a grassroots levels to convince people, but it's the same sort of prescription is to convince people to have better government, be more like the liberal West, the classically liberal West. That's not the alternative, okay? The, the alternative to the current system where we have nonprofits helping people under authoritarian oppression is for no nonprofits to be helping people under authoritarian oppression. I hope Alex Gladstein realizes that. And if we get more free speech and more property rights and more freedoms, we're going to relocalize less internationalization, less globalization. And what's going to happen to those people under authoritarian regimes? They're going to get more oppressed. That's why I'm not at all bullish on most places in the, in the world. That's why I'm most bullish on the United States. So anyways, I uh, hope that made it a little bit more clear. Let's wrap it up. That's where I'm going to leave it today, guys. I'm going to jump back over to Telegram uh, to open the mic for just a few minutes. I have a hard stop here coming up, but uh, that's it, guys. So thanks for joining me. Have a good rest of your day. Join me back here tomorrow. Actually, FedWatch is tomorrow. So join me at 1230 Eastern on FedWatch. That's 1230 Eastern Thursdays with the Bitcoin Magazine YouTube channel and Rumble channels. Uh, so anyway, I'll see you there, guys, and uh, talk to you later. Bye.